Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Here's a joke. Guy goes into a psychiatrist's office, shaking, panic. He says, Doc, I, I think maybe I, I'm, I've got multiple personalities, schizophrenic. One minute I think I'm a wigwam, another I'm a teepee. Wigwam, teepee, wigwam, teepee. Psychiatrist says, hold, hold, hold on, calm down, calm down. You're just too tense. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from APM, American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Shepard Ferry, the man behind the Obama Hope poster. Remember that? It's- I do remember it. Uh, Shepard Ferry is featured in the new street art documentary, Outside In. And coming up, Robin Pecknold of the band Fleet Foxes. From Pizza to Pac-Man, three stars are born, and so was Bob Dylan. But first, time for Small Talk. All week long, you've been hearing this. Barack Obama was treated to royal pomp at Buckingham Palace. Rescue and recovery work continues in Joplin, Missouri. I won't say goodbye. I'll just say... Until we meet again. Now for something you haven't heard, we are speaking with Aaron Britt. He is senior editor at Dwell Magazine. Aaron, what story are you going to be talking about at dinner parties this weekend? I'm going to be talking about stuff made in America. All right. That should be a short conversation, no? (laughs) Yeah. In 2009, the economy was based solely on the buying and selling of brunch, but apparently things have turned around in the old U.S. of A. Well, what are some of these items? Well, I've been working on this story for the magazine about American-made design, and there are some objects that I was really surprised to find we are making, these kind of disposable throwaway objects you think are only made in China. You can get an Amish-made fly swatter. Did not know that. It's not electric powered. No, hardly. There are no zippers. <laughs> but the best part is that the head is made of leather. Ooh, so you get this. Are you sure that's an Amish fly swatter, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> it might have other uses. And then another one. We make $70 nail clippers made in Ketchum, Idaho. $70? 70 bones. Is it made of platinum? It's all reverse engineered. The way you press down on the lever is, in fact, the opposite of the way you typically do. It's supposed to be more intuitive. Uh, you don't have to sharpen them ever. It's... But let me guess. You'll give it to us for $19.95, right, Aaron? <laughs> mm. Is that what this is all about? Because I know you guys and you're such... Terrific gentleman. All right, Aaron Britt, thanks for the small talk. I'm prepared to cut you a deal. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history's an amphibian that can live on land or booze. Isn't evolution amazing? It is amazing. First, the history this week back in 1980, video games went co-ed. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here with the story. Toru Iwatani created a man for the ladies. See, Iwatani was a video game designer, and he noticed arcades were mostly filled with dudes. Not surprising, back then, most games involved shooting stuff. Iwatani thought he'd make a game that appealed to the gals. Now, for whatever reason, he figured gals especially liked food. And when he saw a pizza with one slice missing, he was inspired to create Puck Man, a cute little chomping pizza chased by cute ghosts, cutely devouring dots and fruit. On May 22, 1980, the first Puck Man game was installed in a Japanese mall, and it did okay. But Iwatani doubted it would sell in America, where cuteness wasn't cool. Wrong. The Pac-Man is the most popular of the new video games and amusement houses. There are Pac-Man t-shirts, and now there is Pac-Man music. 
The game became the biggest hit in arcade history with girls and guys. And the only thing that changed was the name. When U.S. distributors realized vandals could change puck into another word and called it Pac-Man instead. So that was the history. Now for the drink to serve with it, I am talking with Kentaro Wada, bartender at Bar the 15 in Tokyo, birthplace of Pac-Man. What drink did that inspire you to make? This cocktail, I called it Pac-Man. Very appropriate. Yes, Mr. Iwatani. I was inspired about the story how he got the idea of Pac-Man from pizza. Oh, yeah, he got the idea from the missing piece of pizza. That's yes. right. So I, was, I wanted to describe like pizza. It's like a pizza drink. Yes, fresh pizza drink. <laughs> yes. What? So what is in this thing? Um, pineapple, basil, cheese, and then olives, black olives, and vodka. Vodka is just for to call it cocktail, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. You need to have some actual alcohol in it. And uh, I have orange juice. Okay, maybe because there is an orange the Pac-Man eats in the Pac-Man video game. Yes. It's like the special bonus fruit. Does it actually? taste good is I guess the question it has you know cheese in it I didn't put cheese in it I have parmesan cheese garnishing rim oh so almost like salt in a yeah. uh, margarita yes it's like margarita style. sounds like a very complicated cocktail it's actually really simple it is it's got so many ingredients but um it's easier than making pizza still <laughs> And ladies and gentlemen, that drink also features power pill-shaped ice cubes and a lot more. You can find the whole amazing recipe at dinnerpartydownload.org. I hope our web servers have the capacity to withstand the demand for pizza booze. (laughs) You laugh, but that is America in a glass. Our guest of honor this week is Robin Pecknell of the band Fleet Foxes. Their modern take on folk has won them fans amongst music heads as well as casual listeners. Here's a clip from their song, White Winter Hymnal. Robin, when you finished writing that song, were you like, oh, yes, that's the jam. People are totally going to dig it. <laughs> um, I think that that's more like uh, on the other guys. I mean, I remember like just sitting on the couch watching TV at my parents' house starting to like write that. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to like think that's some important moment <laughs> or some important <laughs> song when it's the most benign possible origin yeah. story um what was on tv like south park was, or caligula <laughs> yeah. it's probably like punked or something totally inappropriate <laughs> for the for the jam um actually yeah. it actually kind of helped i feel like watching tv you can kind of turn your brain off a little bit and then just like let your hands do do stuff when you're playing guitar it's actually kind of helpful bad tv the secret to good folk who knew <laughs> um you were 22 when that song was released and the album it came out on became wildly popular Next thing you know, you're on tour for two years. Here you are. You just completed your second album. You're on tour again. I take it you like life on the road and that you're happy with your career choice? Yeah. I mean, I think about that. I think it's weird. You know, I think the reason we ended up touring so long on the first record was like we would kind of 
play a place that was maybe like a hundred capacity on the first tour and it would sell out really fast. And so then, and you know, people would be like, Oh, I was bummed. I couldn't get a ticket to your show. You know? So then we would feel this like obligation to return to the same city to play somewhere bigger, you know? Yeah. You guys are um, just really polite and kind. Yeah. It we're sounds just, like. <laughs> just really nice guys. Um, okay. Well, we have two center questions on our show. And the first question is what question are you tired of being asked? What question am I tired of being asked? Um, how about who has the best beard in rock? <laughs> well, we should let the audience know that you yourself have a bountiful beard, but why do you think people can't resist asking such a silly question? Um, I think that, I mean, I would read the article, I guess. <laughs> if the article was Jeff Tweedy weighs in on best beard in rock, I probably would <laughs> click on it. So I got gotcha. you. There you go. Okay. So our second question is tell us something we don't know. Um, well, if you had a, a, a hair between your two fingers and your arm was the same length as the distance from the earth to the moon, uh-huh. the size of that hair in your eyes field of view is how big the Voyager 2 looks from earth right now. Where did, where did you come up with that? That just came up on the Voyager 2's Twitter page. <laughs> That makes sense. See, I thought it was something you may have observed uh, during your band's meteoric rise. (laughs) So, Rico, my vote for the greatest beard in rock and roll? Yes. Rob Halford's girlfriend for all those years. (laughs) Right? See, I was going to say Jerry Garcia. Different points of view. I had no idea about Jerry. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, hey, who do you think has the greatest beard in rock? We now know Robin Pecknold would be interested please post it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. And Brendan, as we know, there is no shortage of food shows on cable TV these That's right. days. There are so many food shows on cable that one of them actually asked us to be judges. It was insane. That's how desperate there's, they are. There's too many shows. <laughs> but there is one food show people really should see. It is a forthcoming HBO documentary called A Matter of Taste. And it follows 10 years in the career of Chef Paul Liebrandt. He was the youngest chef to ever get a three-star review from the New York Times. That's right. He was like 24. That's right. That's like when most people start reading the New York Times. (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) I know. He puts us to shame. So the other day I asked Liebrandt about the importance of the Times food reviews and whether they still matter. You know... I remember at Atlas, we got three stars there. Atlas was your first restaurant. Yes, this was in 2000. And I remember when the review came out, literally overnight, the phone lines lighting up, and it was night and day difference. I mean, bang, just like that. I think these days you have so many more media outlets that you don't have to necessarily just rely on one or two publications. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because on the one hand... The New York Times reviewer is kind of your nemesis. Certainly, it's portrayed this way in this in this movie. No, but I, on I, the other hand, you have the rise of these food blogs, where writers with way less experience and refinement than the Times reviewer have a lot of power. But then again, in let's say just the past five years, when it comes to restaurants, people's likes, dislikes around the world here—I'm not talking just New York—the stereotypical norms are changing. You don't necessarily have to follow the same dogmatic approach of doing a $20 million restaurant to be considered one of the best. And it's because of things like Restaurant Magazine, 
the internet, for sure. There are bloggers out there that create a huge amount of exposure for the restaurants that are on there. And I don't think that it's good or bad. I think it's just the way of the world. And 10 years ago at Atlas, we didn't have any of this. But still in this movie, which climaxes with the opening of your restaurant just a couple of years ago, getting that three-star Times review is a hugely important thing. Why do you care? Well, I, I think if you look at the context of when we opened the restaurant, October 1st, 2008, Bear Stearns and Mel Lynch, etc., and Lehman were all... Collapsing. Exactly. Kind of a scary time to open a restaurant <laughs> of the nature that we were doing, let alone any business. Very upscale, kind of. Exactly. In terms of the timing of the restaurant, a New York Times review, for sure, we were looking to capture a, a good review. But is there not ego involved? I mean, the Times is the newspaper of record. Well, ego comes into it, for sure. You know, um, I have two Michelin stars right now. Do I want my third? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an actor winning an Oscar. There are amazing actors out there. Will they ever win Oscars? Not all of them. Why does someone want to go for Oscar glory? You bring up a good point, though, actually, because a lot of people win, for instance, an Oscar and never, ever make a movie of that caliber ever again. How much is that review a blessing and a curse? You know, now you've got nowhere to go but down. Well, now therein lies the challenge, doesn't it? For example, Three Michelin Stars is about consistency. And the hard part is not getting there. The hard part is, once you're there, is maintaining it. I, I really feel that no, that is the challenge. It's not just winning it. And Brendan, the movie really is, it's fascinating. It's really cool. great. It debuts on HBO June 13th. All right. But, you know, I still don't understand why a tire manufacturer is considered a legitimate judge of restaurants. <laughs> like that Michelin, that always blew my mind. It's true. If Goodyear recommended a restaurant, I might avoid it. Exactly. Actually. Blimp recommendation? Yes. Sure. You know, Asabuco? No thanks. Folks, that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Special thanks to Jackson Musker, Ravi Carmen, Jessica Edwards, Ellen Gettler, and Peter Clowney. And we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner party. Bob Dylan turned 70 earlier this week, which is insane. Yes. Uh, here's a slightly younger band, the Dirty Projectors, and they're covering his song, I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine. Bob Appetit. I dreamed I saw St. Augustine Alive as you or me Tearing through these quarters In the utmost misery With the blanket on without restraint Come out ye gifted kings and queens and hear my sad complaint No martyr is among you now whom you may call your own So go on, yeah.
Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and that's the show. So, what do you think? Eh, I give it one star. It is flat, it is not gripping, in a word, tired. Wow, that's kind of deflating. <laughs>